Welcome to the very first episode of Real Life Cooking, a podcast about spending less but eating well. Thanks to Richard E. for that tagline. In this first episode, I'm going to give you some information about how the podcast will be structured and what my goals are, and then we'll make chocolate chip cookies. This will involve learning how to measure flour and brown sugar and how to soften butter. My name is Kate Shaw. I also make Strange Animals podcast, if my voice sounds familiar. I got the idea for this podcast a few weeks ago and thought it filled a gap. At least, I haven't been able to find anything like it. My goal is to not just present recipes, but to go into clear detail about how to make them. The recipe will be in the show notes, and if you're an experienced cook, that's all you really need. But if you're someone who's new to cooking, or if it's a type of recipe you've never tried before, the episode will walk you through the steps in as much detail as I can manage. My recipes are all fairly ordinary, many of them ones I make for myself frequently. Before I put together an episode, I'll have recently made the recipe so that every step is clear in my mind so I can share it with you. Some episodes will be actual recipes, maybe for a cake or a pie, where there are certain ingredients and certain processes you need to follow closely. Other episodes will be how to use a particular ingredient or how to cook something basic that doesn't require a step-by-step recipe, like how to roast a chicken. If you use metric measurements for cooking, be aware that you'll need to translate my measurements to metric to use these recipes. When a recipe calls for, say, two cups of flour, the cup is a special measurement not just any old drinking glass. That's the same for spoons. In some episodes, I'll describe techniques that apply to many recipes, such as this one that explains how to measure flour properly. Then in future episodes, I'll refer back to that episode when a recipe calls for the same technique. That way, you won't have to listen to 900 episodes where I explain how to measure flour. If your podcatcher doesn't download show notes, you can go directly to reallifecooking.blueberry.net to see them. That's blueberry without any ease. Blueberry. The recipe, photos, and a show transcript will be in the show notes, so you can refer to everything without needing to re-listen to an episode or frantically try to take notes. I do sometimes use alcohol in cooking, but when I do, I'll always indicate if the alcohol is optional. If it's not, I'll provide a second recipe for something similar that doesn't call for alcohol at all. I also have food preferences and dislikes, as everyone does. I'll try to be fair and mix things up, but you can expect a lot of recipes that call for citrus of various kinds, zero recipes that call for mushrooms, and lots of southern U.S. and Tex-Mex recipes since that's what I grew up on. Don't ever let anyone make you feel guilty for not knowing how to cook. Not everyone has the chance to learn to cook as a kid. I didn't learn how to cook until I was in high school, and then I only learned because I made an effort to. My mom was a single parent who worked full-time to support me and my brother. Not only did she not have much time to cook, she hated cooking. Plus, we didn't have a lot of money. When you don't have a lot of money, it's hard to feed yourself well, especially if you also don't have a lot of time or much knowledge about cooking. 
Hopefully, I can help you learn how to make foods that are better for you than fast food and microwave meals, but which are still inexpensive and good. Learning how to cook actually helps you save money in the long run, since if you have good food to bring with you in your lunch, you won't end up going down to McDonald's or wherever for a hamburger every day. So now, let's learn how to make everyone's favorite chocolate chip cookies. Homemade chocolate chip cookies are a million times better than store-bought, a thousand times better than the cut-and-cook cookie dough, and anyway, let's get real, no one actually bakes those, they just eat the dough raw. There's nothing better than eating a homemade chocolate chip cookie just out of the oven, maybe with a glass of cold milk to go with it. Only in my case, I eat like four of the cookies, or maybe five. If you have a chocolate chip cookie recipe of your own you'd rather use than mine, it's probably just as good as mine and probably very similar. The techniques will be the same. For this recipe, you're going to need two mixing bowls and ideally two baking sheets, although you can make do with just one. Let it cool before you put the second batch of dough on it, though. You're also going to need vanilla extract and cinnamon, which if you don't already have on hand can be pricey. You can leave the cinnamon out, or your recipe may not call for it, but you really need the vanilla. It's worth investing in real vanilla, not imitation. Even a small bottle will last you quite a long time unless you bake a whole lot. You don't need an electric mixer or any fancy equipment, just an oven. First, take your baking sheets out and grease them. I use Crisco shortening to grease pans, but you can use whatever you like. Just smear a thin layer of grease on the pans, making sure to grease them all the way to the edges and don't miss any spots. I use my clean bare hand to spread the grease, but a lot of people use a paper towel. Then set the baking sheets aside and get your mixing bowls out. In the medium-sized bowl, assuming the bowls aren't both the same size, measure the flour and other dry ingredients. Use all-purpose flour, not self-rising. When you measure the flour, don't pack it down into the measuring cups. I usually scoop flour into the measuring cup with a spoon, then press it down gently with the back of the spoon, add a little more if necessary, and level the top by scooping off any flour that mounds up above the edges of the cup. Ideally, when you dump the flour out of the measuring cup into the mixing bowl, it won't come out holding the shape of the cup and sit there cup-shaped. If it does, you're packing your flour in too hard. Mix your dry ingredients with a whisk or a fork. Basically, you just want to blend them together well, but this doesn't require a lot of work. Then I measure the walnut pieces and toss them in on top of the flour mixture, since it's easiest that way. You don't have to mix them in, they'll get mixed in nicely later. You can leave the walnuts out if you like, or you can substitute pecans if you have those on hand or like them better. Set that bowl aside and get your other bowl out. This should be the larger bowl if your bowls are different sizes, since all the ingredients will eventually end up in this one. You'll start with the butter. One half cup of butter is one stick. I use unsalted butter because I prefer it on toast, but if you have salted butter, that's fine too. You can also use margarine if you like, but you'll get a much better cookie flavor from real butter. If you're like me, you forgot to get the butter out of the fridge an hour ago, and it's still cold. You want it softened, but not melted. 
You can either go off and watch Netflix or read for an hour or so until the butter warms to room temperature, or you can unwrap it, put it in the mixing bowl by itself, and put the bowl in the microwave for 10 seconds. I'm assuming that your mixing bowl isn't metal. Obviously, don't microwave a metal bowl. Then turn the butter over and microwave it for another 10 seconds. Do this until the butter has softened, which shouldn't take long. If you put it in the microwave for more than 10 seconds at a time, it'll start to melt. Don't try to warm it on the stove because it'll just melt. If you accidentally melt your butter, don't panic. Just stick it back in the fridge for a few minutes. It'll start to solidify. Once the butter is mostly softened but not melted, add the white sugar and the brown sugar. Unlike flour, you want to pack brown sugar into the measuring cup. Pack it down as hard as you can. Then level off the top and add it to the bowl. It should definitely retain the shape of the cup when you turn it into the bowl. This is the case even if a recipe doesn't explicitly say to pack the brown sugar. That's just how you measure brown sugar. Also, if a recipe doesn't specify, it means light brown sugar. You can use dark brown sugar if that's all you have, but it'll give your cookies a slightly molassesy flavor. After you add your sugars to the butter, get a big spoon and smush the sugar and butter together really well. At first, it'll feel like it's never going to combine, but then suddenly it does. Press any dark blobs from the brown sugar with the back of the spoon to smash them apart. The blobs are just sugar, probably where a drop of water fell into the batch when it was being processed. Oh, and make sure you seal the package of brown sugar tightly in a container with a lid or a Ziploc bag of some kind. If you don't, the next time you open the brown sugar package, it's liable to be a rock-solid lump that you can't use. Once the butter and sugar is well blended so that it has a grainy sort of cream cheese consistency, add the egg and vanilla. You don't have to do anything fancy with the egg. Just crack it open and drop it into the bowl. I usually break the yolk with my spoon and stir the egg around before I start mixing it into the butter. Mix everything well so that you can't see any bits of egg yolk that haven't been fully incorporated into the whole. This really won't take long, and the end result looks like a weird grainy pudding. Now it's time to add the dry ingredients to the wet ingredients. If you do it the other way around, all the moisture gets absorbed into the flour too fast and your cookies will be dry. But also don't pour the whole bowl of flour into the butter mixture at once either. Add about half of the flour mixture to the butter mixture and blend it well with your spoon. This is another part where it feels like it's just never going to work and then suddenly it does. Once all the flour has been fully mixed into the butter mixture, add half the chocolate chips and mix them in too. Then add the rest of the flour and blend it well. It's getting stiffer now and it's harder to mix. If you used a regular spoon, you've probably bent it by now or you're worried it's going to bend. That's why you need a big spoon. Add the rest of the chocolate chips, blend them in well, and your cookie dough is ready to cook. If you haven't already, turn your oven on to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Now get a small clean spoon. Use the spoon to scoop small amounts of dough out of the bowl and drop them onto the baking sheet. It doesn't matter how big or small you make the blobs of dough, but all the dough blobs on the baking sheet should be roughly the same size. Don't obsess about this, though. 
I just got my second batch of these out, and I see that one of the cookies is about half the size of the rest, and it baked up just fine without burning. Make sure you leave an inch or two between the pieces of dough, since the cookies need room to spread as they bake. I'm deliberately not saying balls of dough, because I don't want you to think you have to roll the dough into careful little balls. Just plop the bits of dough onto the baking sheet, where it looks kind of spiky and messy. I use the tip of one finger to push the dough off the spoon. Make sure your finger is clean if you do this, and for goodness sake, don't lick your finger in between. That's gross. Once you have a dozen or 15 or however many dough blobs on the baking sheet, depending on how big you made your cookies and how big your baking sheet is, your oven should be ready. Pop the baking sheet into the oven on the middle rack. It's not a good idea to put two baking sheets into the oven at once, unless your oven and your baking sheets are the right size to hold two comfortably without overlapping. Set your timer for 10 minutes. When the timer goes off, look at the cookies. If they still look doughy and pale, leave them in the oven for another minute and check them again. If they're turning brown with darker edges, take them out. While the first batch of cookies is baking, I get the second batch ready to go on the second baking sheet. I leave the second baking sheet on the counter while it's waiting, not on the stove, because if it's sitting on the stove, it will get hot and the cookie dough will start to spread. Besides, I need to keep the stove free, since after I remove the first sheet of baked cookies from the oven, I set it on the stove. I have Formica counters, so I can't safely put hot things on them, since Formica is basically just plastic. Let the cookies sit for a few minutes, then remove them from the baking sheet with a spatula. If you forget and let the cookies cool on the baking sheet, they're sometimes harder to get off, especially if you didn't put enough grease on the baking sheet to start with. One tip about these cookies, and about chocolate chip cookies in general. The best way to eat them after they cool down is to microwave them on a paper towel for 10 or 15 seconds. This warms up the brown sugar and slightly melts the chocolate, making them taste like they just came out of the oven again. These cookies keep well in an airtight container at room temperature, either in a cookie jar or on a plate with plastic wrap over it. I like to make them on the weekend, knowing I'll have cookies to take with my lunches all week, although by the end of the week they've started to get stale and much less appetizing. So that's why you should eat as many as you can hold when they're first out of the oven. One last note for my introductory episode. I have been told that my voice is rather restful to listen to. I hope you think so. To that end, I'll do my best not to introduce any loud noises that might startle you in case you're listening to this podcast to help you sleep. If I ever decide to run ads, I'll read them in my own voice. When I recommend a podcast... I'll just tell you about it instead of running a promo. Speaking of which, you might like the podcast Gastropod, which goes into the science and history of food and cooking. Thanks for listening to the Real Life Cooking Podcast. Now get out there and enjoy your food.